Welcome to a Neon Jazz interview with the very talented New York City drummer, Shirazette Tenen. On the heels of her album called Humility, Purity of My Soul, she talks about her roots in her home state of North Carolina, her jazz adventures in Chicago, and how she ended up playing in New York City. She is a very smart, driven, and active musician that is making waves in the jazz world. We discuss this along with much more. Dig it. Okay, I think we're ready to go here. I think we got we got some good levels. I think we uh, the voice is warmed up. We know we're in Kansas City, so... Shirazet, thank you very much for spending a little time with us here at Neon Jazz. My name's Joe Domino. I host the two-hour jazz show on the weekends. And my uh, engineer, he is the uh, voice of the Neon Beat here in Kansas City. So uh, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I'm going to go ahead and start off with the alpha of your life in the beginning of this interview and ask you, what was it like growing up in North Carolina about jazz and music that got you interested in pursuing a career in music? I would say growing up in North Carolina, um, the influences musically over me were my family, my mom and dad. Um, and then I later found out that my mom's mother was a piano player and a guitar player. Um and her brother played bass. My mom was a trombone player. But my dad and mom used to travel uh, up and down the East Coast with the churches that um, they attended. And so I grew up with a Southern Baptist beginning where there weren't even any drums, but just, you know, the clapping of the hands and the feet and the percussive, you know, with the vocals and the organs. And and plus, my parents love live music. They they told me about going to see live shows like Sam Cooke and and all the uh, gospel greats like the Canton Spirituals. Um, and my dad apparently was a really really great singer. And I didn't find out until later that him and his brothers had a singing group. And my dad also got offered to travel with James Brown. He came through. Um, when my dad was younger, wow, um, and, and offered him to sing, but <laughs> my dad was advised by his mom to not do that, to just stay with the church and continue singing with the church. So um, I missed my opportunity to play drums for James Brown. Wow, that's a great story. That was going to be. I was going to ask you later in the interview what's your best jazz story. So I'm sure you got plenty of them. That's a great beginning there. Um, yeah. So you started playing drums at the age of four. What is it? What was it about that instrument in the beginning and throughout your life that's been alluring for you? I, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it was just the, the, the sound, like playing on different pots and pans in the kitchen. And one of my biggest, uh, influences I believe at the time was MTV and I don't know it was a television show I think it was MTV I was really young but Sheila E was on television and she was performing Glamorous Life and I remember her throwing her sticks up and glowing something like that in the dark or something and she spun around and caught them and I was like, I want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) 
And um, it's weird because she, I have yet to meet her. She's only the only uh, female drummer that I have yet to meet that have, has influenced me, you know, within the Department of Women Musicians. Um, and I do believe that drums and percussion in general have definitely kept me focused, you know, um, and very rewarding, you know. I I became the first in a lot of ways in my middle school and my high school. I I was, I believe, the first eighth grader to march um, cymbals in middle school, and I was the first uh, female drum captain as a freshman at my high school, Eastern Alamance High School, um, in Meadow, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, so marching band and, and drum set have been a part of my life at a very young age. I remember being in elementary school, and the middle school came to my elementary school, and the drummer that was playing at the time became my drum instructor. And even though uh, my parents couldn't really afford to to buy me drums, my my band director, Mark Hauser, would let me use the drum set and the quads because I marched quads from uh, my freshman year on up into college as well. I started marching quads. But I was allowed to take home the instruments, which was very trusting of him, you know, but I think he saw that I was driven to play. And we even had a deal. I knew I wanted to play drums when I, like, got into middle school because I was already, you know, beating on everything. Yeah. Me and my brothers used to make beats on the, hmm. the washing machine, the walls. We drove my dad crazy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, and you know, that whole era of the 80s was, like, when Janet Jackson and, and Sting, the police, and everybody was coming out and... My brothers were also a very big influence on my drumming because uh, they were all into music. And because of them being 10, 9, and 8 years older than me, I was always influenced by different types of music, and they were very musical as well. And I owe a lot to, to my family because they surrounded me with different types of music. And my mom used to be a a member of the uh, BMI CD club. <laughs> <laughs> and she would just, like, buy music for me. So I started listening to big band music. Uh, I knew about the Chitlin Circuit with all those musicians like Tyrone Davis because she used to go hear them play when they would come to town. Um, so, you know, my family always supported me musically, and, and, and I used to make songs and sing songs at my cut at my grandparents' house because my cousin would leave her keyboard before I even understood how to play a keyboard. Like it's just I just been, you know, surrounded in it. So there was no way I wasn't gonna continue to do it. And and so a lot of that has to deal with the structure I was brought up in. And a lot of my family members, like I said, are musicians. But, you know, they never told me to stop playing. And also, I think because of me having three brothers, I grew up in a way that I didn't really see the drums as something, you know, masculine, like a lot of older women experienced when they were coming through. Like, I, 
I was allowed to explore and, and experience, you know, things unlike, I guess, most girls, you know, um, before before me. You know, I've heard I've had a lot of women say I was forced to play the flute. Yeah. I'm like, oh, really? I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I told my teacher I, I want to play the drums. We had an agreement. He said, play the clarinet two weeks, and I'll put you on drums. And I said, okay, deal. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up in North Carolina. You made your way through Appalachia State, went to Chicago and made your way to New York. Did you always have your eye on New York? Did you always have kind of a trajectory of where you wanted to go? Um, You know, I didn't. I will say that my eye was divided between music and sports. Mm-hmm. And part of me wanted to be a WNBA basketball player. Mm-hmm. And the other part of me wanted to be a uh, professional drummer. Um, and before I even knew I could make money with drums, you know, drums is what I've been doing before athletics came into play, but I started playing basketball when I was nine. And so my life was divided between basketball camp and band camp every year from middle school through high school. And believe it or not, um, even though I was winning like awards and stuff for music in high school, it was a little bit tough for me when I got got to Appalachian at first because I my band director, even though he knew I was driven musically, he didn't realize mm-hmm. that I wanted to maybe pursue a career in music. Yeah. So there were, were a few elements that I didn't um, grasp, like classically reading, like marimba and timpani. I never um, experienced that. So what I did was I got frustrated and I quit music for a year, even though I went to Appalachian State for music, and I walked on the basketball team. Yeah. And I got a scholarship, a full scholarship for a year as a walk-on basketball player. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what am I doing? So after a year of that experience, I was like, okay, I've done that. Let me really get focused. So I found a couple of teachers to help me in the areas that I, wa- I wasn't proficient in. Um, like Jan Metzger, who's a vibe player um, based out of Elon College. I don't know if you know who he is, but um, he helped me to refine those issues that I was having. I improved on my theory, and I auditioned. I auditioned twice, got into Appalachian School of Music, even though I was already into the school, but I wasn't into the music department. And then I ended up um, getting partial scholarships for jazz, even though, you know, um, my main concern was getting the theory and everything on the way. And I went from being the 23rd percussionist in my department to the top tier. I became one of the top three percussionists by the time I finished Appalachian. So I think that struggle helped me to realize where I wanted to be and getting that whole uh, basketball era out of my system and realizing yeah. that I'm a better musician yeah. than I am a basketball player, that I probably have more opportunities with music than I would, you know, with basketball because I could get hurt and not play basketball ever again. So I decided to put all my energy into uh, music. So my first travel to New York was with the gospel choir at Appalachian State University, and I hated it. I could not believe New York like, I thought New York was, like, the worst place to be ever. <laughs> and, 
And I think that's because I had this idea of New York being, you know, this, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was so dirty, you know, and coming from the South where everything is, the air is clear and it just kind of like put a, you know, a misunderstanding taste in my mouth. But then the more and more I got focused on music, a lot of my teachers like um, Todd Wright, uh, the jazz director at Appalachian State, and my drum set teacher and Rob Salvo. Rick Dillian was my drum set teacher, and Rob Salvo actually was one of the youngest to get his doctorate at Manhattan School of Music, and mm. so he was my classical teacher. Yeah. And the more and more... I studied, I realized, you know, talking to him and all of my peers and all of my teachers that New York was going to be a place that I would need to go to. So I decided to do my internship, and um, I found some of my uh, peers that I learned through Kappa Kappa Psi, um, this National Honorary Band Fraternity that I was a part of. Yeah. And the trumpet player at the time was living in New York, and she... Uh, put my name in contact with Sherry Maracle. Mm-hmm. And Sherry Maracle um, connected me to the New York Pops Orchestra, and I basically did a phone interview to get an internship to bring me to New York, um, I guess technically my second time, which is actually my official time. And I got the internship, and I got to work with Skitch Henderson, um, in the office area, you know, learning about music, and then I got a second internship at Quiet Recording Studios because my undergrad degree was recording engineering and uh, music industry, and I was double majoring in percussion, but then I realized I didn't need the performance major because so, I was already performing anyway, so I just finished with the uh, music industry degree by doing my intern in New York for like six months. And it, it worked out because my school, Appalachian, has a loft. And the loft is for Appalachian State students. So I lived there for six months and started going to jam sessions like Smalls. And I picked up my first gig before I left New York, but I never played it because I was not prepared financially to completely live in New York after I um, graduated, yeah. and I told myself that I would eventually come back. And to make a long story short, I didn't go back to school for three years after I graduated with my undergrad degree, and I told myself that when I went back, I wanted to focus mainly on drum set, and I got my wish, and um, I uh, was connected to Ron Carter at Northern Illinois University, and the position for the drum throne opened up for the Liberace Jazz Set. Uh, Iaji Hampton recommended me for it. I auditioned. It just so happened the church that I was playing with at the time was traveling to Chicago around the same time as my audition. The church drove me to my audition. I did it. I got into the school, and then I moved um, <laughs> like three months later and quit my day job. And from there... I started playing around Chicago with different musicians like Nicole Mitchell, who was my jazz history teacher. And then my school got invited to go to Lima Jazz Festival, where I met the Gabriel Alegria Alpha Peruvian Sextet group. And that's how I got back to New York, make a long story short. They needed an American drummer. Their Peruvian drummer couldn't leave. 
I learned all the rhythms. I brought a cajon back from uh, Lima, Peru. I took lessons with uh, Wavito Lobotone while I was there to understand better the uh, the connection with jazz and, and the African diaspora that was connected to the, the cajon. I studied on my own for like two or three months, and then I auditioned in New York. They loved what I did and invited me to be in their band and I've been here ever since. <laughs> right on, right on. So, so now that we're in the New York phase of, of of your story, let me ask you about something relatively recently. Your your latest album, Humility, Purity of My Soul, great album. Talk to me about that. How what what inspired you? There was a lot of people that were on that album with you. Kind of talk to me about that. Okay. Well, the initial thing that inspired me to do Humility, Purity of My Soul was I. Th- definitely feel like just being away from home and uh, exploring New York and trying to figure out now that I'm here, you know, what's the next step for me? Because the music industry is changing so, so fast, you know, even within the jazz idiom, uh, you can't just play for people. Like my main goal was just to come to New York and just play with everybody, you know, because that's what you did. Like that's how, I was brought up, you know, through my musical peers, you know, find a band that wants you as a drummer, be the best drummer you can be. And that's changing because if you're not gigging with that person all the time or they change out their personnel, you know, what are you doing? And with the way the industry is, I I can't sit around and wait for people to call me, even though I'm doing quite well with getting calls um, to freelance and stuff, you know, one of my main goals uh, was to establish myself as an artist, and that was scary for me because I didn't think I was ready for that, and I felt as though uh, musically, as a writer, I didn't really have that side as well-polished as my playing side as a drummer. So it took me about, I think, my start at being at Northern Illinois University up until now to actually feel confident enough to actually put what's been in my heart out on paper. Mm-hmm. And I owe that to, you know, musicians here in New York believing in me and then basically informing me because of the industry changing that I needed to have my own group and I needed to write. And there's nothing wrong with not with, there's nothing wrong with at least trying, because at least I can say that I did. Yeah. I had uh, a musician clearly say, just write, you know, just do it. He was just like, either it's going to sound good or it won't, and you'll know, you know. Um, and then with the whole launch of Hot Tone Music and Mimi Jones, you know, influencing me to do this even more, by telling me about her experiences in New York. She's from here. So I I want to not only survive, but I want to be successful. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to do humility, because I feel as though maybe my story is important. Maybe, you know, it is important to say what's on my mind as long as I do it in a manner that's respectful and that I also remember where I come from. And humility is another reason why I did that, because uh, it's scary in New York trying to do things on your own without a family 
And yeah. uh, uh, I've, a lot of musicians here in New York have become, you know, my my family. They're not just people that I play with. They're actually people that I call and talk to when, you know, things don't pan out. So I took all of those experiences that I've had up from, starting from, I guess I would say, my last year in my undergrad up until this past four years in New York, and I, I put it into musical form. And I, I had help as well, you know. I, I trusted musicians that are on the album to help me to critique the music, let me know how they felt about it, give suggestions, and it's helped to make me open, which is another reason why I decided to call them the album Humility, because I think a lot of times we forget that, you know, uh, life is a learning process and you don't know everything and it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to not understand a chord change, even though, you know, according to your peers, you should know that, but everybody has their, their, their strengths and their weaknesses. And if you have a strong unit backing you, then anything is possible. And my band has been that for me. You know, I, I wrote everything, but if something didn't sound right or if they thought there should be a change, I was always open to their opinion. So humility is definitely part of it. The purity of my soul comes from just staying grounded and not letting uh, the fast pace of New York. I'm a Southern girl. You know, I like things to be slow and steady and sure. quiet. And, yep. <laughs> and you don't, uh, yeah. You don't get that here in New York. If right. you go create your quiet space, uh, you will be overwhelmed and stressed out. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, yeah, so that purity of my soul is just basically remembering what my parents, my peers, my siblings, my, my friends back home, and the new friends that I have here have taught me in, and reminding myself of staying, staying pure, staying true, even though I'm going to grow and change. You know, life doesn't have to make you bitter, and just because people are walking fast doesn't mean you have to follow suit. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Let, let me ask you this real quick. What are some of your favorite drummers? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Big Band Era, my first favorite drummer in the Big Band Era was Buddy Rich. Um, yeah. And then, and then I started learning about uh, Cal Basie and Duke Ellison. So any of those drummers, like down from Papa Joe, you know, to uh, Cat, uh, Sid, Catlett, um, okay, pretty much any drummer in a big band era. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I I love Tony Williams. Like I think I think his his approach is amazing and I was stuck on Tony Williams for like maybe like five or six years. And then cool. I discovered Elvin Jones, um, and then I got into uh Carter Beaufort and Dennis Chambers and the list has just been adding on and then when huh. I discovered Carrie Lynn Carrington and Cindy Blackman, I was like, What? Hmm. Um <laughs> Nice. Because every every drummer, um, it's like it's hard to have any favorite drummers anymore because everybody approaches the drum so so differently, but yet the same. Yeah, you know, in some aspects, like you know, you have to have the foundation of a style of music, but then when they do their they, when they do their own thing or have their own flavor, it's like oh wow, 
I didn't realize that, you know, it could be approached that way and still be in the style. So I have many, many different favorite drummers. Like, I, I mean, I love um, the drummer from uh, Sting from Synchronicity. Yeah. I used to listen to that album for, like, forever. Um, and nowadays, uh, I, I'm into Terry on Gully. I like the way he plays. I, mm-hmm. I love uh, Justine Watts. Um uh, Louis Nash, when I heard him play in, in Illinois, you know, I, uh, God, the list is just, it's vast and it keeps, it keeps growing because, uh, you know, they all have something to offer and I'm always trying to, to increase my vocabulary. <laughs> so l- let me ask you a harder question and we'll, we'll kind of narrow this down a little bit. If you could hop into a little time machine and go back in time and witness, a jazz musician, any of them, who would you want to see live play? Ooh. Oh, why'd you do that to me? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> I would I would say Art Blakey. Right on. A jazz Great movie. answer. I would check him out. Very cool. Let me let me ask you this. You know, your career's moving forward. You're you're a New York musician. 25, 30 years from now, what do what do you want people to say about you? How do you want them to remember and think about the trajectory? Sorry, I keep using that word. The the journey that you're on. How do you want them to think about your career? Um, I want them to think or just to see that my career was ongoing, it was growing, it was fruitful, um, and that not only did I pay my dues, but I paid my respects and that I was not just a taker, but I was a giver. Um, And pretty much that it didn't take me, I don't want to be one of those artists that everybody, you know, gives, gives appreciation to after they're gone. You know, I, I hope and pray that my career blossoms enough while I'm here that I'm recognized, but at the same time, when I'm gone, I'm still remembered. And I want—I pray that all those things are, are positive uh, memories, and that I've never, like, you know, <laughs> burned a bridge or anything. And that if I can help anybody get to the next level, as people have helped me, that's how I want to be remembered. So you've had to make a lot of sacrifices up to this point. Do you have any regrets? Um, I, mm, I don't have any regrets musically, you know, if I could do it again, there'd probably be some relationships that I wouldn't have done personally, just so I could have gotten here sooner. Sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, uh, no, I don't, I don't have any regrets because, uh, I can say that I have been fearless, even though I've been afraid, I haven't let fear keep me from trying something at least that's great so where do you like to perform in new york where do you like to perform live i should say wow well i did like playing at les poison rouge that was a lot of fun um it was a beautiful stage it was a beautiful atmosphere the clientele was great and it was my first ever show cd release party you know so definitely like playing there i would love to play there again um, believe it or not, right now I'm performing a lot at this venue called Dwayne Park, and it's a lot of fun. The atmosphere is great, 
Um, I I mostly play a lot out of out of the country, so I guess I would say for the future I would love to play at the Blue Note or at the Jazz Standard. I have played at uh, Dizzy's a lot, so that's one of my favorite spots as well. So I would I would love being at Dizzy's as much as possible, if it, if, you know, if and when it happens. <laughs> what about Kansas City? Have you been through Kansas City? You have any plans on coming here? I would love to come to Kansas City. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> I have, you know, obviously I've been to the Midwest, but I haven't been to Kansas City yet. You, you guys are on my list. Uh, invite me out. You know, I'll come. <laughs> we got we got a great scene going down right now. I, I talk to a lot of local musicians, and I, I've heard that there is a Renaissance-style resurgence of jazz here in this town, so... If you hop in the mix, there's a lot of clubs popping up, a lot of act, action going on, and uh, these musicians are some of the coolest people around. So um, okay. I, I, you you would have a good time. Plus, you know, you got the barbecue, you got the amenities, so you'd be in good shape. Um, oh, barbecue! Oh yeah, <laughs> that's what we do. So let me ask you this: I always like to get a kind of a temperature of what the musicians are listening to. It's kind of a nice way of understanding them what's the last song or album you listened to before we talked tonight <laughs> i have been listening to beyonce uh her, her latest album lately because i'm into the the cinematography that she's done with the videos um but also just the the approach that she took she took with this last album I, i'm really digging it um and I've been listening to a lot of Louis Vega, the DJ. I've yeah. been to him a lot. And he's got this uh, album that I found on Spotify with this percussion player. And I've been listening to that. Uh, yeah, that. but definitely I've been, I've been rocking those two albums lately, especially the... Uh, the Beyonce album. <laughs> so speaking of rock, and you got to play with Alicia Keys. How was that? Was that cool? That was awesome. It was a, a great experience. You know, um, it was it was very tiresome as well because we had to carry those marching percussion on our backs for like hours. Um, and I hadn't done that since college, but uh, it was it was great. It, it didn't. It was very quick, though. The experience was, like, here today, and it was gone tomorrow. Yeah. So I guess if it could have lasted longer, but, you know, it's show business. Yeah, absolutely. So l- let me ask you this. If you had to sum up and, and define yourself in the length of one tweet so somebody would understand who you are, how would you define yourself? 144 characters, one sentence, no time limit. Wow. Um, I am fearless, relentless, ambitious, and loyal. Perfect. You know, and, and, and that was one thing that I wanted to touch on, too. You really have a lot of areas here that they're very important to you, being an educator, um, a musician, you're a producer, you're a health coach. Are all each of those equally important, or is there something that's more important out of that list? Um, I would say my health is first and foremost um, because I feel as though if if I'm not physically capable of playing, then there's 
then there's no way I can continue being a, a, a drummer. So I try to make sure I am focused health-wise, and then, of course, music is next. The production stuff and the educating stuff uh, are definitely just as important. And anytime I'm able to do a clinic or or be of assistance to somebody, I'm definitely going to do that. Um, I I would love to teach, you know, at a collegiate level, music or, you know, teach, um, have my own studio in a, in a college setting. Um, that's one of my dreams. But I believe that I would also want to incorporate health to my students, um, That which is basically pretty much what I do. You know, I feel as though uh, athleticism, health, and music go hand to hand, so they're they're one to me. They're they're one. Um, yeah. And the education behind that is also underlining with that. I believe that that's the foundation. Because if I don't know how to take care of myself, if I don't know how to play or get to the next level, then I can't offer that to anybody else or continue to to grow. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, I tell you what. Usually, my tweet question is the last one, but I really wanted to kind of touch on what what's the most important in your life, and I think we got a great glimpse into you and your music, and I'm certain you're going to have a bright future. So, uh, with that, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate your insight into your life and your music. It's uh, wonderful. Oh, thank you. You're you're welcome. Anytime. Um... I'm, I'm ready for Kansas. Let me know. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City, New York, and around the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Shirazette for her time and insight into her craft and dedication to jazz. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or you can visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things related to neon jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.